Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 17 of the Nathan Wolfel Outdoors podcast. I am Nathan Wolfel of NathanWolfelOutdoors.com. Thank you very much for joining me. As always, a few housekeeping items before we get rocking and rolling today. To keep up to date with my latest articles and videos and recipes, tips and tricks, uh, review lists, all that good stuff, be sure to check out NathanWolfelOutdoors.com frequently for the latest content. If you want to follow along on social media, you can find me on Facebook at Nathan Wolfel Outdoors, or you can find me on Instagram at ndubs41. That's at N-D-U-B-S 41 on Instagram. If you have any feedback on the show, feel free to reach out via email at natewolfel at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-E-W-O-E-L-F-E-L at gmail.com. Always open to hearing suggestions for shows, feedback, commentary, things you'd like to know more about, questions you would like answered, experts you would like to hear from. So if you got some feedback, reach out. I love hearing from people who want to weigh in on things. So don't be afraid to uh, send me an email if that's if you've got something on your mind, if that's what you want to do. So with all of that good stuff out of the way, today's show is going to be one that focuses on an area that has quickly become very close to my heart. And though it has been close to home for pretty much my entire life, I have not been taking full advantage of this of this place until, honestly, until COVID set in. And I feel very bad about that, but I'm super happy I've discovered it. And that place is Maywood Environmental Park in Sheboygan. Uh, it is technically a city park and it's free to go to. It's a beautiful, very natural area. Um, as you'll hear later, it has six different ecosystems in it in about 135 acres. And beautiful hiking trails and scenery and birding opportunities and fishing opportunities. It's just a wonderful, peaceful place. And my wife Liza and I started going on hikes there just as a way to get out of the house early during the pandemic. And it was just fun to see wildlife, to see deer, to see birds. Um, to be near the river. It was just nice to be outside. And then as time wore on, um, I, I kept finding myself drawn to this place to go take a hike, to go bird watching, just to get some fresh air. Um, I spent some time king salmon fishing there, both last fall and this fall. And I've caught fish there and it's just fun to get so close to them. I do steelhead fishing there as well every once in a while. It's a great place to fish watch because of how shallow the Pigeon River is in a lot of areas that are visible from Maywood's um, many walking paths. And it's just a place that I'm very grateful to have so close to home. And I feel badly that I've taken it for granted or just not thought about it enough, but I've been doing everything in my power the last 18 months or so to fix that. And that's kind of the, the basis, the genesis of this episode. Um, going back a couple weeks, my college advisor was actually in town and um, we were discussing a few things I have going on, uh, including a fishing book that he is editing for me, which we will discuss at a different time. For those of you who don't know, I am working on a fishing book. And we were talking through some things and just catching up. It's been a while since I've seen my old advisor, Steve, in person. And he came down to the Sheboygan area and we enjoyed a nice lunch and had a great conversation and wanted to get out walking. So I took him to Maywood and part of me just wanted to show him what a beautiful area it was. I knew he's Steve is very into hiking, so I knew he'd appreciate it. I also wanted to put him in front of a king salmon just to say he saw one because they are beautiful to watch. They are such large creatures. And to people who don't fish regularly, um, they may as well be staring at a shark um, when they see something that can be pushing 25, 30 pounds just sitting in the river in front of them in plain sight. It's, it's always just fun to be able to share that with people. And I hoped to share that with him. And as it turned out, um, we were able to find a few King salmon working their way up river in the Pigeon River. And we stopped at a vantage point, um, a, a footbridge between um, that connects two of the paths, goes across the river um, near the main entryway at Maywood. 
And Steve and I were just sitting there talking. And after a while, um, we saw a woman come down the path with another gentleman and it seemed like she was giving a tour and she was kind of explaining the park, explaining a few things. And, you know, we overheard her conversation a bit and she stopped and said hello to us and asked us if we were seeing any fish. And there was one right in front of us at the time. And we started just, you know, shooting the breeze about that fish. And my advisor looked at her and said, man, you, uh, you sure sound like, you know what you're talking about. You know, you know a lot about this. And she goes, yeah, that's because I run this park. And it turned out that the woman we had met is Samantha Lammers, who is today's guest. She is the park director at Maywood Environmental Park in Sheboygan. We struck up a brief conversation and it was so apparent how passionate she was about and is about her job, how much excitement she takes in nature and the outdoors, and just how much the park means to her. All of that became apparent during about a five-minute conversation. And I decided recently to reach out to her and ask if she wanted to be on the show and discuss a handful of things. And, and I came to find out over the course of this interview that this park means more to her than I could have ever known. And she shared that with me, and pretty soon she's going to share that with you. But I also wanted to make sure that we highlighted a couple other points, which is the importance of places like Maywood. Very natural parks that are still easily accessible, that are local, that are free to the public, that provide opportunities to connect with nature, but then also serve as educational tools to those who may not experience nature in other ways. And as part of her responsibilities, Sam oversees many of the outreach activities that Maywood Park takes in. And I wanted to discuss with someone who has her background the importance of that, of that educational process and how we go about that educational process. I know I've talked a lot about it on the show, but it is really, really critical. Education is critical to anything, but it's especially critical to getting more folks to the point of respecting and appreciating the outdoors, even if they don't actively participate or partake in activities in the outdoors. So we touched on conservation. We touched on outdoor education. We touched on the beauty of Maywood in this episode. So let's just get right to it and get to our interview with Samantha Lammers. All right, everyone, as I mentioned, our wonderful guest for today is Samantha Lammers, who is the park director at Maywood Environmental Park in Sheboygan. And uh, Sam, first of all, thank you very much for joining me. I appreciate you uh, being able and willing to do this on a whim. Absolutely, no problem. Thanks for having me, Nathan. So to start and set the stage a little bit, this is a question I ask all of my guests, who or what got you into the outdoors and into nature? Where did that start for you? Absolutely. Um, that's a really great question because the answer for me is Maywood. <laughs> really? I, yeah, I grew up here in Sheboygan, Wisconsin. I have been coming to Maywood since I was two years old. So when my parents first started bringing my brother and I to Maywood, there weren't any ponds yet. There was a lot of restoration still to be done. So. I have seen kind of the change over the decades here at the park just by visiting with my family. And that has always kind of instilled that environmental activism in me and that conservation. Um, so I did go to UW-Green Bay and I got a major in environmental policy and planning. So I got my bachelor's degree in that. and. Um, I always wanted to be a conservation warden, so I did put myself through a police academy at Lakeshore Technical College in Cleveland and became a deputy conservation warden for a few years. Um, and that was just absolutely fantastic. And then I realized uh, a lot of my passion came from the education I was able to give someone and just noticing that about 80% of the time you can change a behavior just by having that educational discussion with someone. Um, and I just, I love that. And uh, I was the invasive species coordinator for Waukesha, Washington, Sheboygan, and Manitowoc counties 
for the past couple years. And when this opportunity arose, uh, I had to take my shot. So. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and the educational portion of it is something we're definitely going to get into here. Um, but another follow-up question I like to ask my guests who happen to fall into the category that you do as someone who makes their living and has made their living in the outdoors for a while now, what made you decide to take something you were passionate about and make it a career? Because for some people, there's this worry that making something you love um, that might be more of a hobby and turning it into your job could take away from the passion and, and the energy you have around something that means a lot to you. But even having spoken with you just a couple of times, it's very clear that that didn't happen. You have, you, it's very apparent that you love your job and you love what you do. How did you, A, decide that you were going to be comfortable making a career out of the outdoors in some way, shape or form? And B, how do you keep from being burned out with what you do and making sure that you're still enjoying nature the way you always have? Yeah. Um, so I, uh, your kind of part A is that I have always found this kind of uh, balance in nature. Um, so I feel more comfortable in the outdoors than I do behind a desk or, or working in a building. Um, and that has always been the drive to continue that. But the part B, I think, to me is more important. So I can have, you know, the worst day or have a really bad weather day. <laughs> um, but I'm not doing this just for me. And I think that that's what drives me. Um, so even, even though it is my passion and I have the enthusiasm, uh, I'm doing this for the environment and I'm doing this to educate others. We have a nature-based preschool here at Maywood. So we are growing tiny little stewards of environmental <laughs> conservation. And that's really what they are and, and what they see me do and the energy that I bring um, is what they're going to remember. And so I do this because I have the passion, but the reason it doesn't kind of stale in my mind is that it it's for so many other people and it's also for bettering our environment, which is what we all should be striving for. Absolutely. What are some of the responsibilities, and I'm sure there are many, but what is an average day in the life of a park director like? Um, I'm sure that no two days are ever exactly the same, but um, what are some of the responsibilities you have on a daily, weekly, monthly basis? Yes. Yeah, so um, I actually love that question and we'll get into <laughs> a little bit why. Um, so when I got the job and I, you know, explained to everyone that I'm the new park director here, I think everybody's expectation was that I just make myself a fresh, fresh batch of coffee in the morning and go for a walk and take a look at everything. <laughs> and that is an aspect of the job. It is. You have to make sure that, you know, your property enhancement and conservation is right and you have to make sure there's no trees down. And um, so walking the property is part of my job, um, but I kind of joked around a little bit and started a Snapchat on my personal Snapchat called a day in the life of a park director. Um, so I have disposed of carcasses. The preschool <laughs> is very good at finding me human stuff around the park for me to clean up. Yeah. Um, so it, it's not all glamorous, but there is a little bit of everything, which is why I really enjoy the position. So on any given day, I could be writing grants, I could be helping work the nonprofit, which is the uh, association trust Maywood for Maywood. And um, I can be doing property enhancement. I can be doing educational programming, which is a wide range from survival skills to beekeeping. And um, then I, just some of the basic duties as well. So cleaning and maintenance and security of our facility and making sure groups are set and ready to go when they come to volunteer for us. And then also just kind of being the face and being out in the public and talking to people when I see them on the trails and just a wide variety of things. It's just incredible. I mean, even with that description, a minute or two of a description of what you do, the array of skill sets or different things you could encounter or need to do on a given day, it, it is hard for me to process um, the possible things that you may have to do um, as part of your role. Yes, yes. So uh, communication and organization are definitely crucial. 
Um, another thing is that we only have um, two full-time members here at Maywood and then two part-time employees. So um, just us four for 135 acres. We get a lot of support from the city and we get a lot of support from volunteers and third-party partners. But when it comes down to that, scheduling and figuring out what's going on, it definitely is a challenge, yes. And I think this is this is part of the reason, besides the energy and passion you clearly have for what you do, one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on as a guest was to talk about the educational aspect and the educational value of a place like Maywood. Because I am a big believer that while many parks or um, natural areas that I might hike in or spend time in or that a city may own, while it's not the same for me, um, who's lucky enough to be able to... Um, to be able to go out into the woods on private property and hunt and be really, really, you know, in the woods, in nature, there's still so much to be gained. And Maywood does an excellent job of this. Maywood is a very natural place that does present a lot of, for lack of a better term, realistic scenarios in that you could encounter in nature. But having places that are pretty wild, but have walking paths or are pretty wild, but you know, may have um, shelters or permanent structures in them, signs, more significant signs of human life. While it might not be perfect, pristine, untouched nature, which is becoming harder and harder to find, it's super important that the average person has the opportunity to experience some semblance of nature um, without having to work too hard for it. And with that in mind, how do you feel through what you do and what the park does? Um, what kind of a glimpse can people get at nature by being able to visit Maywood and spend some time there. It's a place I enjoy. It's a place you clearly enjoy. But if someone hasn't been there or maybe hasn't thought about really thinking critically about everything you can see and do and learn and and have to contemplate in a place like this when you pay it a visit, you know, what what is what does a visit to Maywood all entail if you have your eyes and heart open? Yes. Oh, that's a loaded question, Nathan. <laughs> Settle in. <laughs> Um, so just a brief history on Maywood. Maywood was um, donated to the city of Sheboygan in 1973. And when it was originally donated, it was Black Angus farmland. So the entire property, all of the acreage was used as a farm. So that gave us the unique opportunity to make Maywood. Once it was decided to be an environmental park, we could make it what we wanted to because everything we did is restoration then. So we have nothing to preserve, um, nothing to touch. It would be a lot of hard work and monitoring and continued maintenance uh, to make Maywood what it is. And Maywood currently has six different types of ecosystems, which is fantastic. They're all within a, you know, a mile, a mile and a half to find. Um, so we have uh, Restoration Prairie, that's about 21 acres. We have a coniferous forest, so a blend of pine trees in one section. We have two separate types of ponds. So when they were created, um, we have 25 natural springs on the property. And so we kind of found a way to make this tile system flow into our deep pond. So we have a pond that's about 15 to 17 feet deep that will then flow into a shallower pond, so five to seven feet deep. Um, which allows us to have two distinct ecosystems in our pond life too, which is fascinating yeah. um, and allows us to do a lot of great education and comparison. Um, we have the Pigeon River flowing through our park as well. So we do a lot of water quality testing. We can catch crayfish and the river is completely different from the ponds in terms of life. There is overlap, but they are unique ecosystems in itself. Uh, right now, I, when we met Nathan, we were watching the salmon run. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Yep. So uh, that, yeah, that allows that opportunity, which is fantastic. We have a wetland across the bridge. We have our maple forest, which is our mixed hardwood or our deciduous forest, which we do maple sap collection every spring and make our own maple syrup out of. And um, I think that might be it. Did I count to six? I believe you did. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Then we're on track. Um, the, yeah, because it's and, the you did the river, you did the river, two types of the ponds, two types of forest and wetlands. That's six in my book. <laughs> oh, and then prairie. 
So pra- we'll, oh, yes, we'll combine the ponds together and say prairie. <laughs> okay, got it. Yes, restorative prairie. Yes, yes, yes. That's okay. Yep. Um, and and a thing that makes this really fantastic, in my opinion, and, and a huge advocate of Maywood is Maywood is in the city of Sheboygan. We are technically an urban park. There is no cost to come to Maywood. Um, you don't have to be a member. We offer memberships, but nobody has to pay to to be able to walk around the park and to be able to enjoy seasonal changes or anything that Maywood has to offer. We also have the Sheboygan Area School District, Camp Wycota, homeschool groups, um, charter schools, all of them coming out almost sometimes on a daily basis in the fall and in the summer. So these are children that may not get that um, experience or even know what Maywood is except for these trips. When they come out, they learn that it's close to them and they can learn all of this, uh, planting the seed, if you will. So they can plant the seed and enjoy the environment and then maybe bring their families. And it just allows us to have a great expansive opportunity to reach everybody. And I think that to me, I mean, part of it's how I was raised, part of it is my personal experiences as well. But I'm just such a true believer that in order to get someone to truly um, be willing to understand the importance of something or the importance of protecting something or acting in a certain way, um, you have to first get them to understand it. And and that can be such a big, especially when you can't offer an experience, um, truly understanding something without having uh, firsthand experience is tough, if not impossible. And to me, that's part of what's so key about Maywood is that you get to have so many diverse nature, natural experiences firsthand. And as you mentioned, for the low, low price of free, um, it's something it's funny. I mentioned it to my wife when we've been in the park a few times. I mentioned it to my advisor the day we ran into you that um, it is staggering to me that you don't have to pay even a small fee if you don't want to, to walk here and to hike here, to fish here, uh, to bird watch here, because the quality of the habitat, it's, it's like, I wouldn't mind paying a few dollars to do it. And I don't think it would be um, unreasonable to ask folks to do it. But part of the beauty of the educational value this property provides is the fact that it is accessible to anyone who's able to get there. And I think that um, places like it's important that places like Maywood exist because it it can, when used correctly, be a gateway to a deeper understanding of the natural world. Yes, absolutely. Um, currently, I have a woman who reached out to me. She actually started uh, her journey as a Warner High School kid. So we have George Warner High School coming out on Tuesdays and Thursdays uh, to use Maywood space as well and get out of their classroom and. She starts her story by saying, yeah, she just didn't want to sit in a classroom. So she signed up to come to Maywood. She didn't care anything about environmental issues. She didn't really want to be outside. And she reached out to me because she is completing uh, her uh, school at Lakeshore Tech College in the horticulture realm. So after hearing her kind of talk about how just being in this Maywood space has kind of changed her perception, on environmental conservation, on the outdoors in general, and now she's actually pursuing an education in one of these fields, as well as coming to Maywood and offering, you know, hundreds of hours of volunteer work is just one of those full circle stories for Maywood. What are, and this is a really big subject to take a bite out of, so I'm going to try to make it a little more digestible. Obviously, when we talk about challenges we face environmentally um, and from an environmental conservation standpoint, there are many. But as we like try to dial it down to maybe the state of Wisconsin or perhaps even spe- more specifically to Sheboygan County, what are some of the specific challenges that we're currently facing where we live and work? Um, it, by your estimation, what are some of those challenges that um, that might be unique to us given our um, proximity to Lake Michigan, or maybe if there aren't any, you know, what are some of the the broader picture environmental challenges that that we're definitely feeling here in our part of the world more than other places? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so the first thing that came to my mind is obviously invasive species control, and that really has to do with I think another issue that we have is just you know having space that was once farmland. Um, we have very little preserved space 
So a lot of what we do is a restoration. And with that restoration comes thinning forests and burning prairies and removing invasive species to the point where, you know, it looks like this scorched earth situation. <laughs> um, so trying to explain that is a very big challenge to us sometimes because it just looks like you're just destroying the environment. But with this limited space, and I would say this is a Wisconsin problem, I would say this is a United States problem and a world problem, is that we are just losing these natural spaces. And when it comes down to it, we can do a ton of restoration to make something look like a native space, but it will always take continuous monitoring and effort. And if I'm following you correctly, effort that it may not necessarily have taken had that just been a naturally preserved place to begin with. Am I following on that? Yeah. So uh, that ties back to the invasive species issue. So when you start kind of manipulating an environment and in spe invasive species kind of get into that environment, that's pretty much what you got. And as you're removing invasive species, like let's say a woody buckthorn, autumn olive or honeysuckle, you kind of have this space where you're really removing a lot of biomass from an area. And then we're finding that if you don't keep up with monitoring and control, like the next step of control, planting native plants or doing something to mitigate that effect, you're going to get garlic mustard. You're going to get dame's racket. You're just going to get other invasive species in that space. So, um, yeah, just trying to keep that balance, but also educate everyone on what we're doing so it's not just so shocking. An example is we just cut half of our prairie. <laughs> and uh, the guy, I will be honest, the guy was two strips in and I went, oh my gosh, what have I done? <laughs> uh, visually, it was very shocking. It yes. really was. Um, but it's necessary. So especially with a restoration prairie, cuts, trims, Seed dispersal, invasive species removal, and burns are, are vital in creating and keeping a restoration prairie. And again, we just use this as another opportunity. We cut half the prairie and we're going to do half a burn and then the other burn the following year. But we will have one summer to compare what this like mitigation and restoration looks like compared to our prairie that has just been able to do whatever it wants for five years. And I think that that's very exciting. We can spend the summer seeing the diversity increase and the control and all of the other benefits that the prairie can give us. And we can actually do a little more education off of that. But it takes work. Yep, it takes work and it takes effort and it takes a lot of education. Well, and I, I you hit on an important point and I, I understand we're going to get into a couple things that I'm very, very curious to get your thoughts on, but you hit on an important point that there is, yes, there are things we can do from a restorative standpoint and we should do them and they are worth doing. And restored property is certainly from a, from a nature conservation standpoint is far better than nothing. Um, but part of the thing that people, so many people don't understand about lots of things in life, but particularly with nature is how much more um, effort fixing something is then maintaining something in its original state would have been if we Absolutely. would have been able to keep it that way whether it's your health whether it's your car whether it's your house whether it's a prairie on your property it would have been a lot easier to to do the preventative maintenance and to preserve what we had than it is to upkeep something after something has already gone wrong and i think that that's a, that is a notion that is lost among a lot of people who maybe don't spend a lot of time thinking about uh, how ecosystems ought to work <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And and creating an ecosystem is a very delicate thing. So we even talk about, um, you know, we created our ponds, <laughs> but it was fascinating. So the old director, Dave Cookup, and our kind of executive committee were, were talking when the ponds were established and they were trying to figure out, you know, what we were going to put in the ponds, what kind of fish we wanted, what kind of stuff that we wanted in there. And Dave really said, don't worry about it. Like, not to quote Jurassic Park, but life finds a way. It always does. It always does. Um, and within, you know, weeks to months that the ponds had frogs, turtles, macroinvertebrates, microinvertebrates. They had fish because kingfishers will actually 
stock bodies of water close to them in order to have a feeding ground where they live and oh, blue wow. herons get eggs stuck to their legs as they hop from river to river. Um, so yeah, life finds a way. That is incredible. That that Kingfisher piece, I had no idea that was a thing. Yeah, yeah. That is incredible. So building on what I just asked you about, I think that when it comes to the importance of preserving the natural world, part of it, and I've harped on this on my show and in my writing a lot, but I, I like talking to people who live it a little more than I do. The, the biggest challenge I feel, or one of the larger challenges we face when it comes to promoting natural conservation is making it make sense to people in a world that is very driven by profit and by showing return on investment of certain things. It is not always easy to make it make sense to someone that not only is it good to have chunks of land that don't get developed into condos or apartments or factories or, you know, not only is it important to have land that we let do its own thing that it would naturally do, it's actually vitally important to preserving our way of life. And even though we can't assign a dollar amount to a plot of land that may just be a natural or restored forest or prairie or wetland for that matter, it's still a hard sell to people to convince them that we we need these things. So when you're having those kinds of conversations, or if you were to have that kind of conversation with someone, where and how do you begin to try to make that make sense to someone who might not see value in something that can't have a number or a dollar sign attached to it? Um, that's a very good point. And I will be honest with you, Nathan, those are the hardest individuals to sway. Um, so what we do here at Maywood, <laughs> we're sneaky about it. We get them young. <laughs> um, so teaching those preschoolers that, you know, accountability and environmental challenges that we face, the high schoolers do all of the students that come through here, they go home and they talk to their parents and they, you know, they kind of do a lot of the educating for us after that fact. But it is very hard. I like to use like what I would call like fun facts, humorous things, um, shocking things that at least grab attention. Because I think if you have a group of people who really um, don't care, you see it, especially when you, you know, see them walking in the park and littering or taking stuff out of the ponds. And you're like, well, I'm glad you're enjoying Maywood, but come on. Yeah. <laughs> you're missing yeah. the purpose here. Yes. So, um yeah, I we approach these those people. We have those conversations, and um, you know, if someone's in the maple forest, I'll come up to them and say, "Hey, do you know that there's no native earthworms in Wisconsin?" And what we think of as nightcrawlers are not native to Wisconsin, and they actually are very devastating in a natural forest environment. And I get a lot of, "No, I didn't." And then you get the the follow up because how do you not ask why? Right. <laughs> Um, so even making someone care about like a honeybee or an earthworm and something that they never thought they wanted to care about, but being, you know, interesting enough and having that education uh, to make people just start questioning those little things, I think leads to at least more curiosity. And then that leads to learning and then that leads to behavior change. All right. So Sam, going back to making it make sense to people and having those tough conversations, um, do you feel, I mean, maybe this is a, a leading question and I apologize for that, but do you feel that by inspiring those follow-up questions from others that you're able to make headway at least momentarily and helping it make sense for people? Because it's something I struggle with when I try to explain what it's like to go to uh like let's let's say a waterfall production area and to see a thousand ducks in a morning on a really good morning and that I'm so happy that this land exists even if I couldn't hunt it I'm happy this land exists because you get to see the bounty of nature being able to do its thing I find that that's very difficult to explain that to someone who doesn't hunt but with the method you're using to try to get the natural curiosity out of people, do you find that that's an effective way to, to start getting folks to think long term about the value of nature, for lack of a better term? I do. I absolutely do. Um, so th there are times that I use, you know, my go to's about the first week after I was hired and I 
ran into a great horned owl just sitting on a tree. Uh, I've had some incredible experiences with wildlife, but my appreciation is already there. And I think you're 100% correct that if you don't have that appreciation, you're like, yeah, that's an owl. It looks like it does in the movies. So you need to do, there needs to be something else, right? And, And I love to focus on things that are either disgusting or scary or boring and make that exciting for people because I think that's where it comes in. I love talking about native mussels. Oh my gosh, they are so fascinating. Um, But when you pick up a mussel in the river, you're like, yeah, this stinks and is covered in goo. Great, cool. (laughs) Uh, But they're also vital to an ecosystem. Absolutely vital. It's amazing how fast they can filter even just a fish tank full of lake water. So... It's starting with those creepy, gross, boring topics and making that come alive. Because if that can make someone interested, then a great horned owl or a badger or a blue heron definitely can. In your mind, what, and I'm asking for your definition, maybe not the one you use as a sales pitch necessarily to someone who may not think of the natural world the way you and I tend to. But in your mind, in your own words, what is the value of having natural spaces and not developing everything? And not to say that things can't coexist, but what is the, you have such a qual, I mean, let's use Maywood as an example. You have such a quality natural space. What, what is the value to the greater world in your opinion of a place like that? Yeah. So, um, just environmentally speaking to have, uh, an abundance of trees and different types of trees, uh, that gives us fresh air and that gives us, you know, a healthy body. There are many things in the park, too, that, you know, we can eat as wild edibles or use in a survival situation. So I think I love doing education on that. But moreover, I am also a yoga teacher. And I absolutely that believe, and I think that a lot of us learn that very quick uh, during COVID, that outside space helps us mentally as well as physically. And just having some space that is either quiet or hypnotizing by bird sounds or wind or water is is needed to kind of refresh and restore all of us as humans. Like, this is our natural state. We're mammals. We, we need outside space. And there's there's just something to say about sunshine hitting your face or feeling wind or you know, touching cold, icy water that that helps us not only physically, but mentally. And I think that that's where we all need to be right now. What is the coolest thing you've seen or come across at Maywood? Um, so I have to say that that uh, owl situation was pretty incredible. <laughs> uh, it was 11 a.m. It was bright sunshine. I did not expect to see that. And he was within, you know, 10 feet from me. And I just sat on the ground for a little bit and just stared in awe at him. I have seen, uh, we have a lot of very fun, ginormous snapping turtles in our ponds. So they are fun to watch and play with. (laughs) I have uh, the blue herons, the green herons. We have American bittern. And we have, uh, we found a pair of Virginia rails this year. So a lot of those aquatic birds, uh, even sandhill cranes, they just look like dinosaurs. They're fascinating. Mm -hmm. and They're beautiful. And uh, you can get, yeah, you can get within some distance, especially bringing binoculars, just fantastic. So the wildlife alone blows me away. Uh, I got really into mushrooms this fall. We had a really good mushroom year, so I kind of knew the basics. Uh, in one week, my the intern, Haley, and I, we found over 35 varieties of mushrooms in the wow. park alone. <laughs> it, it was everywhere we turned, it was something new. And we took a lot of pictures, and we've been kind of going through a phenology list for us this fall. And we know not every year is going to be like that, but just appreciating what we do find when we find it. I think that's really, really important, too. So that even for members of the public, they can slow down. And if, you know, the high school, when they were out here, they're like, there's no way. There's no way you found 35 varieties. How do you find that? And I said, we went in the woods, and we sat down on the ground. (laughs) We took a second. And we just sat down, and that's sometimes what it takes. It really is. I mean, there is so much value in slowing down, especially when in nature, because 
it's cliche, but it's true that we live in such a fast-paced world that often blows by a lot of wonderful, amazing things that could be right under our noses if we took the time to look down and look around and observe. And I think that that is one of the one of the beautiful parts about Maywood is that if you are you don't necessarily have to be hardcore into nature to appreciate the value of what can come from a place like this because if you just want to get outside as you mentioned earlier and just want some sanity and want some quiet time and the chance to get away you can go for a walk if you want to fish as i have done you can fish there if you want to bird watch another thing i've done there you can do that if if you want to in your case identify as many species of mushrooms as you possibly can this is a space you can do that and yes it's just it's really hard to describe and quantify how wonderful it is to be able to provide so many uh, possible experiences to people with such a wide array of interests. I just, it's so hard to properly sum up the value in something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the longer, you know, I'm out here and I grew up out here. So, you know, in my teen years when I needed to get away, this is where I came and I just walked or I sat by the river and that's what I needed in that moment. Um, you know, when I was really big into running, that's this is where I came. And, you know, you don't necessarily stop and look at nature, but just being able to run here in the space that I was comfortable with and that I knew that is what I needed in that moment. So you're exactly right. Sometimes I just like a couple weeks ago laid face down in the forest <laughs> looking at <laughs> microscopic mushrooms. And it just if you just allow Maywood to give you something and you just be open to whatever that may be in the moment, I, it's just, and yeah, it's fantastic. It really is. It really is. And I, before we follow up on a couple, um, on a couple things about some of the awesome opportunities and things you all have going on at Maywood, I, I need to take a step back. We need to talk about the deer in your park. You have some of the friendliest deer that I've ever really come across. And I understand that they they are technically wild, but there are times... Yeah, that's not a good thing, though. (laughs) I am far too too close to Bambi over here than I should be because it's like, hey, like, while I am not a threat to you naturally in this situation, not every human you come across is going to, in every situation, is going to be that way. It is um, is staggering to me sometimes how if you're just being a little quiet and a little slow and methodical... um, how unbelievably close you can sometimes get to an entire group of deer at Maywood. <laughs> yep. No, that's so true. I had um, like a yearling buck this year. Uh, he was out in the forest across the way and we I would run into him kind of on a weekly basis and he was always kind of in the same spot and I, I started playing with him. I'd run behind a tree and then he'd like crane his neck out and look until he saw me and then he'd, he'd duck behind the tree and so I'd do the same thing and that yeah um i think i think a reason for that is we do have a lot of deer on the property that can start to be pretty destructive when it comes to uh, like our maple forest and places like that um and then another reason is that we gave them such a safe space so yes uh the quarry evergreen park and maywood are all involved in what we call the pigeon river corridor which is a wildlife corridor for um all of the wildlife aquatic and terrestrial to get you know across the highway and through some of the busier roads in sheboygan county so they know that they are safe in this corridor and i think that that's like another behavior that they are learning here but absolutely and i it's funny. I My wife and I went for a hike. Uh, well, we've been on many in Maywood, but we went on one last year, probably about this time, actually. It was late fall, mid-fall, I guess is more accurate. And um, the rut was definitely on. And there was a chase between a very sizable eight-point buck and a few of the ladies he was after. And at one point, we found ourselves between the buck and his women. And my wife looks at me and said, well, what's about to happen? And I said, hopefully we don't get run over um, because this buck is not focused on us being around here at all. Um, yeah. But, you know, it, it's kind of actually a little bit of a scary situation to be in. But tying it back to the larger discussion, the larger point, my wife, who doesn't hunt, would never, ever, ever be able to experience what deer activity is like during that phase if a place like this was not available to us. And to even have to think for a second that, like, yeah, you see the fawns in spring and they're cute and there's lots of them and they're fun to look at and that's great. But to to be missing the whole picture of, yeah, but 
when breeding season hits, I mean, it can get flat out nasty. And there's a lot of, there is a lot of, um, territorialism between the animals and there's fighting and there's running and chasing. And, and to someone who doesn't hunt, you would have no way to really experience that unless you're going to be exposed to a place like this. And it's just so, to me, it's so valuable to be able to, to share that with someone, even someone who is married to a hunter, you know, I, I have no other way other than bringing my wife hunting. I have no other way of showing her that or explaining how cool it can be to witness. Um, it's just incredible to me to be able to go so close to home and, and have um, exposure to wildlife experiences like that. Yeah. Um, currently, right now, if you go down by the ponds, we have quite a few larger trees that have some buck rub damage. So even just doing the education on that, uh, you know, someone who doesn't know is like, oh, man, what kind of thing hit this? Like, was there a UTV or did someone hit it with their bike? And, and <laughs> you go, no, that's a buck rub. And this is what happens. And it kind of allows that domino effect to happen because you you are so right. I I get calls for people saying, like, there must be vehicles on the trails because I found this tree that got hit. <laughs> um, but it is. I, I I have no shame in anyone's game. If they want to talk and call and question, I, I love that. I think that that is critical to continue to be this, like, lifelong learner when it comes to that. How do you balance, because you kind of alluded to it, and then we'll, we'll get off the deer topic after this, I promise. I'm just, I'm fascinated by the deer situation at your park. Um, <laughs> how do you, how do you balance um, the fact that that corridor you've all created and the city has worked to create is wonderful and those things need to exist. Um, but you kind of alluded to and started going down the path of, but if wildlife gets too friendly, that's not fabulous because barriers and having those barriers between um, or even natural fear is a very good protective thing for animals to have within reason. And you don't want your habitats damaged um, either. How do you balance, we want deer here, we want wildlife in general here, and they belong to a point. But if it comes to a point where it's like, man, these deer are almost people's pets, or they're really wreaking havoc in a, in a habitat, we work extremely hard to preserve. What? How do you try to maintain some semblance of... Um, natural order without taking nature out of its course, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. I think we are at kind of a disadvantage here at Maywood. So we are tucked between other city property and we are a city property owned park. Uh, and then bordering us is private property as well. So uh, look, if there were to be any control done, it would be done by the city of Sheboygan and used through the city of Sheboygan. But I, I agree. We we do see damage in our maple forest. Uh, the buck rubs. We have to... Um, I cage a lot of trees in the fall because <laughs> I, <bet. laughs> I know it's coming. Uh, and, I, and I know that, you know, it might not be a tree that deer like to eat. But, oh man, if it's in the corridor there, it's going to get destroyed. So we, we have protection techniques right now that we use because we kind of know these things are coming. But... Any, any action that would be taken to actually thin a herd or have permission to do that would would come from the city and probably assist with the DNR. So, Has it ever gotten to that point that you're aware of? Because that's just it, too. It's like what you're saying makes complete sense, but that's also assuming it would ever get to that point. So I guess my question is, how would you identify if it was getting to, like, let's like, stay on the deer specifically, as a park director and someone with an extensive natural resources background, how do you, what's the threshold for being like, okay, this is getting a little out of hand. And yes, the city and or the DNR would likely have to be involved. But how do you even know when you've come to that point? Yeah, so I think we would see um, a lot more damage. Uh, I can't really speak to whether we're at that point or not. So I've just seen what I've seen. But I haven't been the park director um, even <laughs> right. for a year yet. So I don't even have a year's worth of, you know, um, material to go off of. But just looking at those signs. So we have people that come in, we have public that uses the park in the summer that let us know when they see babies and where those babies are. And we kind of keep track of um, the the groups of deer. So we have a mom and two babies right now. I've watched them since they had spots to, uh, I still see them 
every couple of days and they're in the same spot and they do their same walk every day and I know where to expect them. So we keep an eye on the populations we know we have. Uh, I keep a close eye on the destruction as well. So I, I keep an eye on the fact that we are losing a lot of size class in our maple forest. Uh, we don't have very good ground cover that's starting to allow invasives to come in. Uh, we are losing our smaller oak trees and some of our other trees because, you know, the deer just like to chomp on them. The may apples in the spring, too. <laughs> um, and then and then buck rubs and obviously other, other scenarios like that that we keep in mind. But uh, again, it's very hard here because we have a lot of preservationists who um, who want to just just preserve the wildlife and uh, want to allow the wildlife to do whatever they do naturally and I understand that argument as well I do sure um, but again I have I have that conservation background um, and that DNR background and I can see some of those you know that domino effect and and the destruction that's starting to occur when control measures aren't taken and again, we're always doing control measures here. Yes, and and that's a you touch on a quick side a quick side note. I want to explore with you. There's a big difference, and maybe for the average person, this isn't understood. There's a big difference between conservation and preservation, and um, oh, those gosh, two yes. things serve very different purposes and have very different end goals. Um, do you want to give for people who may not have ever thought of the diff- that there is a true difference between those two words and two philosophies? Do you just want to give a quick rundown of in your eyes the differences between uh, conservation and preservation. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think that people, a lot of the time, uh, they are preservationists and they call themselves conservationists. And I agree that there is a big difference. So, um, I would say a preservationist, I have an example would be like on a property like this, although we've done all of these native plantings and done all of this restoration, they are to a point that when they see a field of, garlic mustard you know they say well that the garlic mustard chose to live here so it's the garlic mustard gets to stay like why are you pulling it we don't understand why you're messing with it and further altering the landscape Um, and that's a preservationist kind of sort of thinking and then you have kind of a conservationist where you see a lack of diversity so a lack of biodiversity is always a very scary thing and always an indication that some control and restoration and at least monitoring needs to be happening Uh, so it is this multi-step conservation is knowing when you need destructive efforts uh, chemical treatments when you need fire or trimming or some sort of control and I don't believe that that is necessarily required in situations that people are using them in currently sure, but sure um there are always you know if you are in this form of restoration then it's it's control your it's conservation it's not preservation at all those are two very separate things and i think that's a fabulous a fabulous explanation because it's something that like I think people, if they think critically about it, understand there's a difference, but it, it, it's easy to, sometimes when dropped in conversation, it's very easy to make those words interchangeable and, and they are not always, and I would argue they're not most of the time. Um, but yeah, I'm glad we got to touch on that. But one more thing I wanted to, to pick your brain on and make sure you had a chance to share before I let you go, because I, I also want to be aware of your time. Um, you guys at the park, you guys and gals, I should say, do a lot of wonderful outreach opportunities for people who, if they want to just be more informed and to learn and to, and to just be engaged with the, with the the park and with the outdoor community that they can get involved and and participate in some of these things. Um, What are some examples you'd like to share, whether it's upcoming things or just things that folks could look forward to and be aware that if they want to take advantage of these opportunities that they are there and will be there um, should they want to participate? That's awesome. Thank you for asking that question. Of course. So um, <laughs> currently we have our, the search for Sasquatch continues, um, interpretive hike going on right now. So uh, it was important for us too to find kind of those mitigation plans for COVID uh, and for varying levels of comfort for families and individuals who come visit the park. So this uh, search for Sasquatch right now is very intriguing because it's in- it's completely interpretive. You do not have to come into the ecology center if you do not want. Um, everything is outside. 
Uh, you can grab the stuff right at the front door and do the search. You can learn um, education about nature in the park. We have just a whole bunch of stuff going on there, and that will be running to the end of Sunday. We do have our Wishing for Winter event coming up, and that is going to be December 3rd and 4th from 4 p.m. to 7 p.m. Uh, so the preschool is going to put a little parade and a little show on for us. We will have the inside and the outside of Maywood decorated with uh, festive things. We're going to have kind of a s'mores, a gourmet s'mores bar, and we're going to do some candlelit hikes. So that is, cool. again, something that if you do not choose or feel comfortable coming into the building, you don't have to do it all. You can do the candlelit hike. Uh, you can come, you know, watch the preschoolers and their performance, but in no way do you have to. So it's all these varying levels of comfort. Generally for Maywood, we do offer a membership. So the park is free and open to members. Uh if you are, um, or to the public, but if you are a member, you'd get discounts on some of our exclusive programming. Um, you can get discounts in the ecology store, and then you also receive a quarterly newsletter that we call the Eco Edges. And that gives programming updates, that gives um, what is happening in the park in terms of um, uh, property enhancement and security and maintenance. Uh, and that gives you kind of a letter from me about what we're excited to look forward to. And that's all included in the membership. You can always go grab one of those Eco Edges from our ecology store, too, if you just want to stay up to date that way. <laughs> sure. Uh, we always want volunteers. So we have a volunteer coordinator named Barb. She's fantastic to work with. And um, you can come fill out something. She can, or It's a fill-out volunteer interest form. She can send that to you virtually if that works for you as well. And we, um, from manning the ecology store to cutting down trees and helping me remove invasives, picking up garbage. We have so many unlimited opportunities to volunteer here at the park, and we really do need people's help. There's only four of us. We can only <laughs> go so far. Um, and then our final thing, too, is you can support the park. Uh, one of my favorite programs is called my OWLS program. It's my Older, Wiser, Livelier Scholars. We meet every Friday from 10 to noon. And we go either on walks in the park and enjoy the nature, enjoy seasonal changes. You guys get weekly updates from me um, when we kind of found and rescued some turtles. So we did a little turtle showing. And nice. when I find stuff, yeah, we just do updates weekly. We take hikes weekly. We go off site and learn at other locations. It's just a really great way to be involved and it's free. So we just ask for donations for that. Anyone can join that program and just email me here at Maywood or email Barb and we'll get you on that OWL's mailing list as well. And if someone wants to follow along um, on social media with just stuff that's happening around the park, where can they find you? Because I know it's a bunch of places. Yes, yes. And so we actually have a new website as well, which is fantastic if you haven't been able to go to it, please do. We just updated it recently. And that website is go, G-O, Maywood, M-A-Y-W-O-O-D dot org. And that will give you all of the programming stuff, where to sign up for stuff, how to get involved, and how to and foster that environmental uh, stewardship. That's awesome. That's awesome. And it's um, I have been on that website a handful of times since it was relaunched. And it's, Do you it's like lovely. the new website? I like it a lot. It's very it's easy fab. to use. So much good yeah. stuff on there. It's Yes, I highly, if, if you're listening to this and you just find um, you have a new interest or a new spark in your interest for Maywood and learning about it, that's a great place to go. So I, I highly recommend it. Excellent. Thank you. Yes, no problem. And so, yeah, I with that, um, I first of all want to thank you again, Sam, for taking the time. I, I, I appreciate it. Our listeners appreciate it. Um, so thank you very much for being so gracious with your time and your information. And I just, I really appreciate your, the energy you bring to all of this, the knowledge you bring to all of this and your willingness to share with others, because honestly, in, in my estimation to keep, um, to, for us to have a fighting chance at preserving nature moving forward for future generations, it really takes all of that effort and then some. So I appreciate all of the effort that you are investing in that. Awesome. Thank you. And I appreciate everything you're doing, Nathan. And I really um, was just had a great time here. So thank you. Thank you for this opportunity.
I understand I'm probably biased, but if that interview doesn't make you want to visit Maywood, I don't know what will. Um, it's an incredible place. If you have the opportunity to check out Maywood Environmental Park, please, please do so. And if you feel inclined to support them, I implore you to also do that as well. It is just a wonderful place doing so much wonderful work, providing so many amazing opportunities and the potential to make and create memories. It's just a very, very special place. And I am grateful that Sam was willing to take the time to to have some of the discussions she had with us today. And I learned a lot. I think a couple things that that are worth repeating is, I mean, and some themes that came from this conversation. One is um, the importance of preserving the nature we have because Sam did a wonderful job in detailing the level of effort that goes into the restoration and maintenance projects that are required once we need to rehabilitate nature. There is so much effort that goes into maintaining a property like Maywood, and there are many of them. A lot of the places we hunt, a lot of the places we fish are projects like this that are made to look incredibly natural and are, to an extent, very genuinely natural. But to keep them in the proper order of things, because a lot of them are restoration type projects, it is a lot of elbow grease and people hours and money and time. And I'm grateful there are people who are willing to fund and participate in those projects. But something I took away from our conversation is nothing beats the real McCoy. And we have to do our duty to protect and manage the wild areas that are still occurring as naturally as they are. But it's also important to note that if you have people and organizations willing to fund and support these types of restoration projects, they are well worth our time and investment. Just because they can be difficult and labor intensive does not mean they are not worth doing. I am very grateful that Maywood exists. And the world would be a better place if we could create more places like it, in my opinion. I also appreciated just hearing someone who is so passionate about the educational aspect of the outdoors. And I know I've harped on it a bunch, so I won't, I won't beat a dead horse, but it takes people like Sam who are so willing to share their knowledge and love for something to get it passed along through the generations. And that's exactly what Sam's doing. She loves the environment. She loves teaching people about nature. And she has such a clear and obvious passion for it that I know came through in that interview. And it's exciting to see someone who is willing to take the time to share that with others and to make it their mission and their profession to share that with as many people as possible. The outdoors are awesome. And to have such a great ambassador and steward of the outdoors working at a local park is, is just makes me incredibly happy. And I just, I learned a lot about the diversity of the ecosystems at Maywood. That's something that honestly, I don't pay enough attention to while I'm there. I thought that was incredible just to know the diversity, ecologically speaking, that is present in a relatively small area. I'm glad I got my couple of deer questions in because I, I feel like I am greeted by a hooved critter pretty much every time I'm in the park and I love seeing them, but yeah, uh, sometimes they're a bit overly friendly. Um, but I do enjoy seeing them and this whole thing. I mean, man, I, this whole episode makes me just want to go to just go to the park right now, go to Maywood right now and enjoy it all. It just, it really just makes me want to spend some time in the outdoors, which I will hopefully be able to do soon. But yes, thanks again to Sam for a great conversation. Um, I'm happy we detailed the difference between conservation and preservation and those mindsets, because those are two very different things. And I think it's important as, as we all continue to grow in our journeys and our understandings of nature and the outdoors to understand where our philosophies fall and why, and to others and to understand where the philosophies of others fall and why. So that way we can have more informed conversations and make better decisions about the future of our planet. We have to understand where everyone's coming from. 
And but in order to do that, we have to understand what our belief systems are and think critically about that. But yes, great conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. But in the meantime, a few reminders. Check out NathanWolfelOutdoors.com for some more outdoors content. I try to get something fresh up there at least once a week. If you want to keep up on social media, you can find me on Facebook at NathanWolfelOutdoors. We got a giveaway coming up in November. There's a little Easter egg for those of you who made it to this point in the show. Keep an eye out on that Facebook page in the next couple of weeks. You're going to have the chance to win some free NWO stuff. So keep an eye out for that. If you want to follow me on Instagram, you can find me at ndubs41. That's at ndubs41 on Instagram. And as always, if you have feedback on the show or on the articles or on the website, you have questions you'd like answered, experts you'd like to hear from, just any kind of thoughts you'd like to share, reach out to me via email at natewoofle at gmail.com. That's N-A-T-E-W-O-E-L-F-E-L at gmail.com. Thank you very much for listening. I appreciate all the support. I've heard of of a few new listeners since the last time I've recorded who have started making their way through the shows. I suppose I should plug in one more reminder. If you're liking what you're hearing, you can subscribe right where you are listening to this podcast and be sure that you will never miss another episode. So be sure to hit that subscribe button if this is something you're enjoying and to check out those other episodes. There are 16 other ones full of some pretty good content, some thought-provoking discussions, and some really, really awesome and knowledgeable guests. And I hope you will enjoy those as well if you have not already. But that's about it for this particular episode. Thanks again for listening. I hope you get some time in the outdoors between now and the next time we speak. And we'll talk again real soon.